You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Guidepost. Willie Goldsmith here, along with our policy associate, Will. Hey, Will. Willie, how's it going? I am doing all right. You know, I'm thinking it might be worth starting to refer to you as posting in podcasts because otherwise things get pretty confusing. I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's not just our emails when it's Willie and Will. I think also just names in general. So I'm going to call you posting during this, during this podcast. So it's good to see you posting. Great to see everyone too. Uh, no, that's a common uh, a common theme in in my life, so I'm very much used to that. Probably more so than Will, to be honest. Awesome. Well, we're pretty excited today. We've got a great guest with us to talk through uh, what has been a uh, a bit of a thicket when it comes to recreational fisheries management in the Mid Atlantic. Uh, there's been uh, an initiative going on over the past couple of years um, for a number of, number of recreationally important species, and we're thrilled to have Dr. Michelle Duval with us, who's a member of the Mid Atlantic Fishery Management Council, to help us uh, talk through what's been going on. So, welcome to the Guidepost, Michelle. Hey, thanks, guys. And I guess I really have you fooled if you think that I'm like this amazing guest. So I'm really, I'm really excited to see how I've pulled the wool over your eyes. Well, I think as folks will learn over the course of this podcast, that's a, that's a pretty huge understatement. Uh, Michelle is an expert in all things fisheries, uh, and has done a lot of work, in particular, on on recreational fisheries data. And so we're we're super glad to have her on here. And I think just to get started, before we get into the weeds of of this initiative that we're going to talk about today. Can you just tell us a bit about yourself and, and kind of how you ended up, you know, being in the thick of this, of this process and, and working with the Mid-Atlantic Council more generally? Yeah, sure. So it, it's a pretty crazy journey. You know, I mean, I grew up in Michigan, which has lots and lots of fisheries around, but I didn't really grow up fishing that much. And, but I was always fascinated by the water and, um, you know, the fishing I did was like little panfish, bluegills for breakfast and stuff like that. And um, I was always looking for a bigger Great Lake. So I ended up down in North Carolina for grad school and I actually studied fish bait. So I looked at fiddler crabs, which um, are, you know, fish bait for some pretty popular species. So um, and then <clears throat> after grad school, I actually spent about 10 years working for an environmental nonprofit. And that's kind of when I started, you know, bird dogging and chasing um, different fisheries management organizations. And so after 10 years with that, I seem to be on these 10 year cycles of, you know, my career and stuff. But um, after that, I spent 10 years working for a state marine fisheries agency. So I was kind of on the other side of the fence, you know, busy representing um, the state's interests, which you know, includes recreational fishermen, commercial fishermen, the environmental community um, at different state and federal fishery management bodies. And then the next decade um, sort of started when my husband got his dream job up in Pennsylvania. And so we moved up here and I started doing fisheries consulting about four years ago. Um, And then I threw my name into the hat for Pennsylvania's open obligatory seat on the council and um, was 
surprised and 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 honored to you know be selected for that seat and so you know some of the things that um that i've been involved in i was really fortunate to be involved in the most recent national academy study on as you all well know you know the use of of mrip for um in season management of recreational fisheries um and so you know that I think has dovetailed really nicely with some of the issues that the council's been undertaking and, you know, some of the, some of the committees that I'm involved in at the Mid-Atlantic Fishery Management Council um, include like our research steering committee. So looking at, um, you know, looking at potential redevelopment of some of our set-asides as well as um, our ecosystem and ocean planning committee, um, you know, Shadden River Herring. So, Lots of things that sort of touch on recreational fisheries, you know, from from different angles. Awesome, yeah. Thanks for that background. And how how long have you been on the council now? Uh, well, I was a COVID appointee, so okay. it, it's actually it's almost two years. So okay. next year, next year my term will be up. Yep. I gotcha, gotcha. Well, hopefully, what is it? You can ha- you can have a maximum of three terms, right? So that kind of aligns with your your general ten year ten year process. So hopefully, that'll be, that'll be another addition. And just by a little bit of background for folks, uh, I think a lot of a lot of people are aware, but the Mid Atlantic Fishery Management Council is one of eight regional fishery management councils uh, around the country. Uh, manages our important recreational and commercial species in the you know as you might imagine in the Mid Atlantic. Uh, some of those are co managed with the Atlantic States. Marine Fisheries Commission. Others are co-managed with the uh, New England uh, Marine Fishery, Man- uh, Fishery Management Council. So there's a, a bit of overlap there, but certainly the the mid, as we call it, uh, was was in the thick of of this recent conversation. And I think you know we're ready to probably probably dive in uh, to what is called the. Uh, Recreational Reform Initiative, um, and in particular, this idea of a recreational fishery, a harvest control rule. And I think, you know, this is an issue that uh, has been of concern for a lot of folks who viewed that the system was sort of broken and that there was a need to to change how we manage recreational fisheries. But also some folks, including ASGA, who had real concerns with some of the approaches that were being considered um, and how they might best, you know, ensure long-term sustainability of, uh, of the stocks that are in question. Um, and you know, we're at ASJ, we're super grateful for, for Will for being, you know, in the thick of all of this, going to a lot of very complicated committee meetings. And Will, I don't know if you want to give a little insight into kind of what that what this process has been like for you. Yeah, for sure. Um well, you know, I think the first thing that we'll kind of talk about is this whole process is about four jointly managed species, like you mentioned, with the with the commission. Um, so it's involving black sea bass, summer flounder, scup, and bluefish. Um, but before we get into a little bit, I had to uh, respond to one of Michelle's comments that just it stuck with me. You being from Michigan and calling uh, the Great Lakes the ocean, all my Ohio friends used to call Lake Erie the the Atlantic Ocean. So uh, I, I just made me laugh. Um, but anyways, back to the the super interesting harvest control rule. Um, so yeah, this, this initiative or this effort kind of spawned a couple years ago, um, when we were kind of experiencing this problem where we couldn't constrain recreational catch to the, um, to the harvest limit. And we kind of kept, we're, we're chasing it. It's this phenomenon called the chasing the RHL. Um, there's, you know, some 
concerns with recreational data just by the by the nature of the timing of it and um you know some precision concerns and this was also kind of coupled with uh covid you know we were weren't getting the best data so it's kind of this perfect storm of um issues that kind of all uh toppled over and you know we needed to change something and the council came up with the harvest control rule which was going to be put forward as a framework and an addendum uh which has less public involvement than some uh other types of documents that um you know the council deals with so like an, an amendment would have involved a lot more public scoping in the earlier stages and then a lot more public involvement to kind of develop um develop the alternatives and kind of select a select an outcome. Um, so anyways, you know, the council took final action in June and, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into that, but um, Michelle, do you kind of want to talk about, you know, some of the other, um, you know, precursors to the harvest control rule, anything I missed, or, um, you know, I think we also probably should talk a little bit about, you know, how, um, you know, recreational management measures are even set in the traditional sense before um, this new approach is will uh, be installed. Yeah, definitely. I think it'll be helpful for folks to hear sort of what the what the standard or typical process is for setting recreational measures. But you know, I think you did a great job, Will, of you know capturing some of the motivations for trying to change the way we manage our recreational fisheries and. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's important for folks to understand that the harvest control rule is really just one piece of a bigger initiative, and there are lots of other um, components to that that the council and commission are are getting ready to to tackle here. So, but I think for folks to to understand the way we set recreational measures now, you know, generally. Um, we have the, the council's scientific and statistical committee will take a look at, you know, what the overall ABC is or allowable biological catch is for the fishery. Um, and the council will see the SSC's um, recommendation for an ABC in August. And at that point, so we know, like, what, what's the total amount that can be taken out of the fishery? And that gets divided between, you know, the commercial allocation and the recreational allocation. And at that point, that's usually when the council and the commission um, make a decision as to whether or not they are going to pursue what are typically called sort of coastwide measures, in other words, having like the same size season bag limit apply to the entire coast, or whether they're going to have more, more regionally specific or tailored measures um, that would, you know, take into account the, the differences in availability and the differences in size, you know, I think particularly for, um, you know, summer flounder and, and black sea bass, I think especially um, at SCUP certainly as well um, in, in that. And so, in order to kind of set the stage for what those recreational measures might look like, what we do is the staff will look at, you know, what are, what is the kind of forecast harvest for the current year under our existing measures and compare that to what is the recreational harvest limit for next year. And we kind of make a pretty big assumption when we do that, that, okay, 
if here's the forecast harvest for this year under these measures, we're making an assumption that if we kept those same measures in place, that they would result in exactly the same harvest next year. And that's sort of, that's a little bit of the, the black box and everybody knows and has acknowledged that that's, um, that assumption doesn't always hold true. So, uh, and when that comparison is made, if if uh, the forecast harvest for this year is higher than next year's recreational harvest limit, then generally um, those recreational measures are changed so that we can um, the the size or the the season or the bag limit are adjusted to try to you know bring down what that forecast harvest will be. In the opposite direction, if the forecast for harvest this year looks like it's going to be less than next year's recreational harvest limit, well, then typically um, the, the council's monitoring committee will say, hey, you know, you can liberalize the recreational management measure. So, you know, again, that's, that's how we do things right now. Um, sometimes it depends on the species, but lately it's been anywhere from, I would say, an average of you know, one, two, or three years of, of previous harvest for a particular species that's used to compare to the next year's recreational harvest limit. So that's how we do things right now. And again, that big assumption is really, hey, you know, we're assuming that if we keep things the same this year, we're going to get the same amount of harvest next year. And that's that's kind of a um, that's a roll of the dice for sure. And and as and thank you, Michelle, for for walking us through it because it's not it's not the most straightforward process, especially when you get into you know what happens if you don't if you don't uh, you know catch what you expected to. And uh, as folks might know, I think as certainly as you know, you know, human dimensions research is something that I, I care a lot about and trying to better understand the motivations and preferences of anglers and what gets them on the water. And, you know, it really is a, a key input that that we don't have a lot of insight into, uh, at least right now. And we'll talk about that more later. But I think what you were describing, it's it's important to relate this also back to that that study you were a part of, right? That that you were that you led uh, from the National Academies, because you know a lot of this stems from the fact that we don't have real time information in recreational fisheries data collection. So it's very difficult to keep a finger on the pulse of kind of what's going on at all, the, you know, at at every at every step. And so the question becomes, what do you do with that? And kind of what is your what is your risk appetite? What is you know, how do you try to project what you're going to catch in the future? Because you can't keep track of things as they're happening on the water. That's is that, so is true. that fair? Yeah, I would absolutely agree. And and certainly that National Academy study, um, I was very fortunate to be included in it. There were a ton of super smart people. I have no idea why they even let me on that committee. Um, you know, these guys came up with some really, really creative approaches to try to, I think, improve and and maybe not improve, improves the wrong word, I would say to enhance, you know, our current recreational data collection system, um, because the charge was to try to make it uh, a better tool for use in in season management. But for, you know, I think fisheries in the mid-Atlantic, just given the relatively short seasons, and the the lag in getting that um, information back, you know, that you pointed out, Willie, it, it's really difficult to use that information in season to, you know, keep your thumb on the pulse, like you said. And so, you know, one of the components of the, of the study was to try to explore, are there alternative management approaches that could be used that are, um, 
more compatible with uh, the way the data are collected, but also um, potentially that the councils could consider exploring to um, you know, Im improve the usability, I think, of the Marine Recreational Information Program. And angler motivation is a, you know, is a, is a big topic of conversation, but it was a little bit, it was kind of outside of the actual scope of the study. So we certainly had conversations about that. And one of the big recommendations was, hey, you know, councils may want to consider starting one of these conversations or, you know, the National Marine Fisheries Service should consider, um, you know, starting these conversations with anglers about, you know, what does optimum yield mean to you? So that, that was a, a major undertaking or a major recommendation, I should say. Which we also then saw also uh, echoed at the recreational summit, right? Back in, back in right. March. I think that came up as a, a big topic as well. So, all right, guys, I think we're going to we're going to go for it. we're going to dive into this issue and what's been going on. I know we're all waiting with bated breath for this to happen. Um, a caution to listeners, we are going to do our very best to keep the acronyms to a minimum. There are an incredible amount of acronyms associated with this initiative that we're going to talk about today. Uh, but sometimes it might just be easier to, to speak about them in, in that way. And I also just want to reiterate, you know, what Will was talking about in terms of the motivation for this. In addition to you know the challenges of of monitoring recreational catch and then trying to constrain that catch to limit, there was a real public perception issue here, right? That kind of brought us into this conversation. And I think a lot of folks in the Northeast and Mid Atlantic might be familiar with this through black sea bass that we're seeing a lot of in recent years. And it's the stock assessment bears that out. We see a stock that it's over it's over two hundred percent of its target. It's doing really well, and yet fishermen were seeing their their uh, bag, their bag limits being increasingly restricted, and that goes back to what Michelle was talking about in terms of in terms of those harvest limits and and not being able to, not being able, frankly, to predict exactly what was going to happen, and then requiring there to be additional action. And so that's kind of that's the issue on. But yeah, go ahead. Well, that kind of all boiled over this past winter when they were setting the specifications for, um, you know, those three species. You, you've got uh, and kind of highlights the irony of you know what you know, everything that this approach or broader rec reform initiative may be trying to, uh, you know, address, because like you said, you got black sea bass, 200%. Um, they were taking, uh, uh, what was it? 21% reduction somewhere around there. Scup also right near 200%. They were taking a, uh, they were called to take a pretty massive reduction, um, and then you had summer flounder, which by all accounts, you know, recruitment's been bad since 2011. Um, and, you know, anglers from both sides of the aisle, or I shouldn't say the aisle, uh, commercial and recreational were, you know, saying there's a real problem here. Um, but summer flounder could have been liberalized a lot. So, um, you know, that kind of just underscores just the, the, the way that this system could have or, sh you know, should be uh you know, address to kind of fix some of these, these problems in recreational fisheries. A hundred, a hundred percent. And, you know, to, to your point, you know, we've got, we've got these real issues, but certainly, you know, as an association, we, we think keeping, 
keeping the provisions of Magnuson, right, the Madison-Stevens Act intact are really important and to make sure that all sectors, including the recreational sector, continue to be held accountable for catch and that we are adhering to the standards that are in law. So it's kind of that balance of understanding the, the issue on the water, but then also understanding that there's uh, there are real requirements that have led to the recovery of a lot of stocks that we need to try to make, you know, we need to, we need to adhere to. Uh, to to keep that being the case, and so yeah, yeah, for sure. That, I think it's just really. I'm. I was just trying to paint, you know, the picture of kind of the the all the pressures that were going on in every direction. I'm sure Michelle, you know, Michelle was obviously fighting for you know the the conservation tenets of the of the Magnus and Stevens Act, with you know no doubt. Um, but you know she wasn't. You know, uh, you definitely felt some of those pressures too, just from the the public um, the public faith in the process. I'd I'd. Uh, I'd go to guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it doesn't make sense to anglers that, you know, stocks that are twice their biomass target would require some of the kinds of reductions that we were seeing through, you know, the process that I described that, you know, you have um, a recreational harvest limit that, you know, our, our forecasted catch for this year using our current process says that we would actually need to reduce, you know, by, well, it ended up being 21% for black sea bass and, you know, a much larger proportion for scup, but then for something like summer flounder where, you know, I've heard multiple folks, you know, both commercial and recreational express some, some concerns about, about the summer flounder stock and um, that, you know, by all accounts, even, even, with the declining recruitment that there would even be, you know, the kind of just even a small liberalization, which was what was allowed for, for this year. So yeah, it, it's when people lose faith in the public process, when they see, when they see juxtapositions like that. Yeah, absolutely, Michelle, that's a, a great point to bring up. And again, it's, it's all about that balance between, you know, trying to keep folks on the trying to keep what's happening on the water aligned with management, but also making sure that we're, we're adhering to, to the measures that have, that have brought the fisheries back into a good place and, you know, in the first place. And so with all of this in mind, you know, you've mentioned this, this recreational reform initiative at the mid Atlantic council. And I think we should transition into the subject of the day, which is this harvest control rule. That was part, that's the first part of this recreational reform initiative. And Michelle, can I maybe ask you to, Give a 30,000 foot view of what this harvest control rule or what was called the harvest control rule is, is trying to do. Sure, Willie, I'll, I'll do my best. So, you know, broadly, the, the purpose of pursuing a harvest control rule was to better align, uh, to provide some stability and recreational man management measures, but also to better align the, those measures with um, stock biomass or stock health. So what people are seeing on the water. So you would you would look at things like the fact that black sea bass is at 200% of its biomass target uh, when you're considering what your recreational management measures would be. And you would try to, you would um, set your recreational management measures accordingly based on whether or not the stock is above its biomass target, it's between the target and the threshold, or it's, you know, below that threshold, which is basically, you know, saying that the stock is, is an, in an overfished situation. So that's kind of the 30,000 foot level to try to better, 
better align um, the measures that we set for the recreational fisheries with the stock biomass, but at the same time, also try to provide, I think, a little bit of stability in what those measures are by sort of setting some, some triggers for when those measures would change. And those triggers, you know, for several of the options that were considered by the council and commission are based on really where that stock biomass is, how healthy is that stock. So maybe that's a little too much detail. Maybe we need to, um, I think we're in the cumulonimbus clouds right now, but, you know, we might need to come back down uh, a little bit. So let me know if you, if you want a little bit more other than that. I, I mean, I thought that was pretty good, Will. I don't know if, if you have if you have uh, other thoughts on on you know additional details that folks might need, but I think Michelle, you did a that that's probably the right altitude here, you know, in terms of summarizing what the what the general solution is and or what the general proposed solution was. And I, I think it's important at this point to also highlight, and this is something that we you know we frankly were not thrilled with over the course of this process, which was the kind of speed of not the the precursor of what to to what happened. We know this has been a process that has gone over gone on for I think four years at this point, but the process from which we went from first raising this idea to then passing it at the council meeting a few weeks ago. And I just was wondering if you could speak a bit to kind of the pressures that, that might have been contributing to really trying to get something through. Um, you know, and and just give us a little bit of insight there. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, folks, some of your listeners may be aware of the fact that, um, you know, we had this this new method for um, calculating recreational effort that led to a whole new recalibrated set of, of recreational harvest numbers. And there was sort of this kind of snowball effect that occurred. So once we got those new harvest numbers, we had to redo our commercial and recreational allocations. And um, so it, it took, it took kind of a couple of years to c come around to, um, doing that, you know, the council took some, some action on that, but, you know, I think clearly allocation is not going to be the solution to improve management of, of recreational fisheries. And so I think as, as folks saw, and I think as the, the fishing public saw, you know, what, what they perceive to be a greater disconnect between, you know, the health of the stock they were seeing on the water and the measures, you know, and or reductions that they were being asked to take, um, you know, the, the pressure grew for the council and commission to tackle management of recreational fisheries in a different way. Um, so, and, and I think, you know, part of that pressure um, was was the fact that we had these new recreational harvest numbers that you know quite frankly indicated that harvest for all four of these species under consideration was was greater than what we had in the past. So it kind of changed our understanding of of what the stocks were. So I think that you know that that led into it. Um, you know the council and commission were allowed to keep measures. Uh, at status quo for 2021, 2020, um, you know, there were some extenuating circumstance. We had COVID going on, and so that interrupted some data collection. We had, um, uh, you know, still uh, COVID going on in 
you know, that kind of bled over into data collection for 2021. So the council and commission had had kind of been given some leeway to try to find ways to incorporate this recalibrated recreational catch data stream into management. And so the longer we took, the, the greater the pressure grew. So I think, you know, by the time we got around to providing some guidance for staff to flush out some, some options, there wasn't, I think there was some pressure and it was made clear that there, that we were going to need to tackle this pretty quickly. Um, and so I know there were a lot of concerns, you know, from, from you all and from others about, you know, the speed of the process or lack thereof and the opportunities for public involvement and public engagement, you know, as Will highlighted at the beginning that there are more public comment opportunities with an amendment process than with, um, you know, the, the process that we use, which is called a framework. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to slow down right now and just see if we, maybe we need to sort of step back a little bit. Um, but you know, anything, anything else on sort of like the pressure and the time frame? Yeah, no, Michelle, I think you hit it too, especially, you know, just to reiterate that importance of, you know, what an amendment could have allowed in this process, you know, then I think we would, would have probably, we would have had a better idea of what even the public wanted in this because, you know, it's pretty clearly stated um, the HCR was kind of uh, put forward as an idea from um, some other fishing, recreational fishing organizations. uh, And, you know, there could have been some other, you know, thoughts or concerns um, floated from an early stage of, as to, uh, you know, what people actually wanted in the fishery. Um, but regardless, you know, we're, we're here now, um, and the council took final action, um, what, uh, maybe 10 days ago. Um, and it was, a it was a pretty hectic meeting. It had its, you know, as you alluded to, too, it had its, uh, pretty overt pressures from the regional administrator, um, and the greater Atlantic region fisheries office to, uh, you know, do something because right now, um, and this kind of goes back to this whole idea of t- considering other factors to set recreational management measures. Um, right now they have to set measures to adhere to an RHL. And as you know, that that's done pretty done a good job of, you know, not overfishing and not putting fishery stocks into overfished states, but it maybe isn't very good at um, managing stocks that are doing very well. Um, so that was kind of the whole idea as we, as we've discussed. So they wanted to rewrite the regs to include another factor to set these recreational management measures. And there was a motion that appeared pretty quickly, um, at the three hour long meeting, uh, that the staff presentation probably took up, uh, two hours of, um, and, uh, we dove into that motion. Michelle, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so the motion was to adopt, you know, sort of one of the harvest control rule options called the percent change approach. And so so that approach um, actually would uses uses the 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 biomass status of the stock. So whether the stock is, you know, above like 150% of its target, um, there are there are like four different divisions within that, um, that approach. And then it uses, uh, it, it, it kind of sets triggers for 
when you would modify your management measures based on that biomass level, but also, you know, based on similar to how we do things now, a comparison of um, the recent, uh, you know, performance of the fishery over the past two years with um, the average of the future recreational harvest limit. So that comparison, which is you know, similar to how we do things now, still plays a role, but whether or not you would change management measures is more dependent on the biomass of the stock. So I think that's probably the biggest change, but a motion was put forward to you know, adopt this approach. And I think you know, the motivation was that um, you know, some of the other approaches, while intriguing, um, you know, they, they considered uh, putting stocks in different bins, so to speak, based on, you know, not just biomass level, but other indicators like, you know, is our fishing mortality too high? Um, what does recruitment look like? And, you know, some review by the Council Scientific and Statistical Committee indicated that maybe some of those approaches weren't, um, weren't quite as fleshed out as they need to be. I mean, the, you know, I just want to be clear the staff did, you know, the, the plan development team and the fishery management action team, all the staff folks at the council and commission who were developing these approaches did a tremendous amount of work in an incredibly short period of time. Um, but I think, I think folks felt more comfortable with this percent change approach because it is sort of like a half step um, beyond what we do right now without sort of maybe stepping off the cliff into some of these other approaches that, well, you know, really interesting. I think everyone agreed that there's still some outstanding tools that we need to maybe, you know, optimize the use of those approaches. Well, let me know if I'm, you know, putting words in your mouth here, but, you know, I think that that's why that, that sunset clause, um, that was, uh, you know, linked to this percent change motion kind of made the whole, um, that whole motion kind of more palpable for, you know, everyone around the table that, you know, we're not locked into this for a while. Hopefully the, you know, council, uh, or the FMAT and PDT members are going to keep, um, you know, pursuing some of these other options. And especially as these models come online that are, you know, going to more accurately, predict recreational catch and kind of what the effects of different bag size and season limits, um, will have. Uh, so, you know, I think there, there are like, like you said, you know, there's some great opportunities to kind of let this be a, a placeholder and then, um, to, you know, hopefully get the, the finished project, uh, products, you know, wrapped up and, and delivered. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, the sunset clause was really important. You know, I, I mean, I had expressed sort of that there were some recommended improvements to the this percent change approach from the the scientific and statistical committee chair, and I think folks were pretty excited about those approaches um, that that could you know turn this into a much more ideal tool. Um, but there's but we still need some time to to work on that. So the sunset clause was definitely important. And I think, you know, some of you've mentioned models, and I think it's probably important to know that there's, you know, a couple of modeling approaches out there that really get at 
um, one of the biggest uncertainties in recreational management, which is angler motivation. And so, you know, one of these is is based on a survey that went out to thousands of anglers, you know, that um, came back and those answers are going to be used to help help us try to, you know, triangulate what combination of, you know, size, season, bag limit might um, work best and how how that particular combination might affect future harvests. And so it specifically incorporates, you know, those angler motivations, but, but the models aren't quite done yet. So we're still, we're still kind of waiting on those. And then maybe the other important thing to mention um, about the percent change approach is that, you know, it does try to take into account the, I guess the variability um, of harvest, you know, so, so the way our recreational data collection system works, we get a point estimate of harvest, but because it's a survey that's used to do that, there is variability around that estimate. And so, you know, it's also trying to look at, um, you know, is, is the estimate of fishery performance, that estimate of harvest within a confidence interval, or is it above it or is it below it? And so I think that's another, you know, that's a little weedy, but um, I think it's an important detail that, you know, we're trying to also account for the uncertainty in harvest estimates specifically with this approach. Yeah, and I'll, I'll let Willie jump in, but, you know, th- that, y- you know, that that issue of the confidence interval, I think it's, you know, the it's a, um, you know, a, a good idea too, but just the technicalities of what passed, um to me, it felt it feels like you know you're kind of taking a selective uh, pick of which confidence interval you want to achieve, kind of um, a lesser uh, reduction <laughs> potentially. Um, but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. Um, I know Willie wanted to uh, <laughs> ask I'm, some I'm, questions. I'm, too. I'm bringing us back. I I have to I have to dig very deep, but I'm going to try to channel my inner <laughs> Tony. Um, it's in there somewhere. I can see Michelle cringing as I say that. So. Um, because she knows he brings the tough questions. So Tony, you're here in spirit. Um, so you know we've talked about where we are, right? We've talked about where we landed with this percent change approach, kind of this, this, what I view as an approach that kind of was not totally satisfying to any group because it was sort of, you know, it was it was not it was not it was not a huge departure from what we currently do. Uh, but it also is kind of, you know, baking in this, this new approach that folks continue to have some concerns about. And I just want to hear your thoughts, Michelle, because, you know, we've been kind of <laughs> recognizing that, that some other recreational groups have really been pushing this hard for the last couple of years. And we've repeatedly brought up concerns about it that haven't really been resolved. And I just I wanted to hear your thoughts on on some of them. And Will might have some other ones that, that he can bring in. And I'm just going to kind of mention a few of them. And I'm not going to make you think, you know, respond to each of them in turn. But if there are any that you're that, that you have thoughts about, I think, you know, this is and again, I have to give staff at both the ASMFC and the Mid-Atlantic Council credit. This has been an enormous amount of work. I know you and other council members have just put tons of time and effort into understanding these incredibly complex options, uh, which is something that I, I want to touch on as well. But I guess, you know, just in no particular order. I mean, coming into this meeting, Mid Atlantic and and Mid Atlantic Council staff recommended against adopting any of these harvest control rule approaches. They recommended um, setting, you know, some uh, basically a a new approach that was different from the status quo, um, but was not 
taking on any of these any of these brand new approaches. Uh, at the same time, back in February, there was a motion made for the uh, full scientific or for a, a subcommittee of the scientific and statistical committee to review. Uh, this whole process and give their thoughts. The the review was pretty damning, I would say. It was not particularly rosy in terms of how well how well this process would would work uh, in the future. Uh, and I think one other issue that that a lot of folks, including us, had was yes, there were opportunities, you know, for some version of public input through this more hasty framework addendum process. But this is such a complicated document. The public hearing document was unbelievably challenging to get through. And you're having folks comment not only on which of these five options they like in this harvest control rule, but of the harvest control rule alternatives, but then which ones of these were the most, you know, appropriate for folks to, to, you know, in terms of the sub options within each one. And so I think what one of the big challenges was there was that you basically were having asking the public to provide their thoughts on something, but not really knowing what the final product would look like. So it wasn't like you're asking, you know, would you rather have a 14 inch size limit and a 10 fish bag limit or what have you? It was far more nuanced than that. And so I feel like that's a big risk for the council. And, you know, because then what if somebody ends up supporting something and, and, and it ends up kind of not being what they wanted. And it's, it's hard to ignore that the vast majority of the public comments were, were basically a form letter, right? Because it was just, this was an issue that was, was so incredibly nuanced and difficult to get into. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I think those were some of the major reservations we had going into this meeting a few weeks ago between the staff recommendation, the SSC lack of stamp of approval, and just the difficulty of getting the public to be a part of the conversation. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, on any or all of those concerns that we have. Apologies, apologies for prattling on, but again, I'm channeling my, my outer Tony now telling me inner Tony to stop prattling. And, you know, Tony, Tony brings the tough stuff, right? So I think, so the first thing I, I'll, try to tackle is the complexity of the document and the public input. I mean, I agree with you. It was a complex document. I think staff did an amazing job of distilling those complexities during the, during the presentations that were given. And you're right. It, you know, there's a, so I think there's a, there's a trade-off, right? Between using the type of process we did with, you know, a framework, which is a shorter process that would get something in place sooner versus an amendment that would have um, used scoping and provided for uh, multiple public comment opportunities, at least on, you know, well, on, on both the council and the commission side. Um, and, you know, it, it was... Um, and the council, you know, was was pushed by um, by folks, you know, some other um, recreational advocacy groups, and you know, some council members as well to to try to develop some management measures for some of these other approaches, so that the public would have a better idea of what they were commenting on. So the approach that was selected during final action, you know, a week and a half ago, I think because it was something that was more familiar and, you know, people could understand that. So it was more concrete and the comments, you know, as you noted, the comments reflect that um, lack of, I think, specificity of information and even, you know, the SSC, um, 
said the same thing, that they really were not able to, I think, complete part of the charge that we'd hoped to receive, which was to say, hey, can you sort of rank these different approaches with respect to relative risk? I mean, we didn't ask them to pick one for us. We just said, you know, what's the relative risk, recognizing that, you know, that's a that's a council commission policy type of call. But, you know, I was one of those people who, and, you know, mea culpa, um, you know, was kind of on the side of, well, I'd rather hear what people think about the approach than focus on specific management measures that are in each of these bins or, you know, that have been developed for these. But, you know, hindsight being 2020, it probably would have been good if we had asked for, you know, a set of measures to be developed uh, for one species. I do think that would have been a pretty heavy lift and it might have, um, it might have delayed the process. So, you know, I think criticism accepted with respect to the, the, the timing of the process and the rapidity and, you know, the ability for the angling public to be able to effectively comment on this. And I think, I think you heard that same thing, you know, during the public hearings that were held. Um, I think, you know, with respect to the SSC review of these different approaches, so, you know, yours truly made the motion to, um, to ask for that, for that review. And, you know, I, I am, I'm really glad we did that. I think, you know, I guess, I don't know that I would characterize the SSC's review as damning, maybe. It was, you know, meant to be, um, I guess it depends on which where you're sitting, but it, it was meant to be a critique and to provide food for thought and improvement. And it did that. And I, you know, there were, as a result of that review, which, you know, was, was fairly nuanced, um, you know, we have some things that we can use for further improvement. I would have had a lot of regrets if we had not asked the SSC for that type of input, because I think, you know, in the end, we'll come out with something better. But, you know, certainly the SSC's concern that um, kind of double dipping, as, you know, we might say, or, or reusing some of the same indicators, like, you know, biomass status that the SSC already used to set, you know, the total allowable biological catch could, um, you know, could, could introduce some, um, I guess you might call it, uh, you like know, amplifying, right? Yeah, like amplifying. It could have an amplifying side. effect. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it could mean that if you're using biomass as one of your considerations and whether or not to liberalize measures or make them more restrictive, you could end up in a space where, um, at high biomass levels, you're actually over liberalizing and at low biomass level, lower biomass levels, I should say, you're actually overly restricting. And, you know, I think there were a number of those of us around the table who, who raised that concern. And I think that's why we were, um, you know, amenable to the use of a sunset provision, as well as a follow-up motion that said, hey, we're going to keep working on 
some of these other approaches, as well as this percent change approach to try to improve it. Yeah. And, and just, just to reiterate for folks, you know, this is going to be put in place beginning in 2023, right? For, for black sea bass, scup and summer flounder, um, for, you know, bluefish was the other species that's part of this, but I think it's important to just reiterate that, uh, species that are in a rebuilding plan are not part of this whole process. So, uh, some listeners might remember, uh, there was a new rebuilding plan put in place for bluefish uh, last, I think last June, actually. So that species is kind of off the table as far as the harvest control rule uh, goes, you know, for th- for the foreseeable future as that stock rebuilds. Um, but I just want to kind of, you know, to put a finer point on it here and thinking about, you know, why we've been so invested in this process is, again, you know, the, the hope is to prevent overfishing. It's to promptly rebuild stocks. It's to it's to ensure healthy and abundant fisheries. Uh, we know that you know there are other councils around the country that are are looking at this process. This is a, a nuanced way and a, a new approach to thinking about uh, how to manage a, a a large diffuse angling population. Right, lots of people on the water, no real time data collection. That's that's really uh, helpful for for managing you know a fishery of this magnitude. Uh, and hopefully, again, your your study that, that that you were a part of last year will will help us provide some some insight into into how we can do that. But I think. You know, a big concern that we've had is, will this process effectively prevent overfishing? And will this process ensure that we're not kind of doing more harm than good and that we're not having political pressure from a stock that's at a a historic high and letting that one issue with, you know, talking in particular about black sea bass, but it applies to scup as well, letting the context of that issue drive an entirely new management paradigm that might not be as might not be as appropriate and frankly could be detrimental um for other species and and thereby lead to to overfishing and and depleted stocks i'm just curious to hear if that's if that's a concern that you share yeah so this was a question that i raised i think last fall when we were you know talking about we were getting close to approving a a document for public hearing but i think one of the questions I asked was, you know, well, what if we, what if we pick something and then find out that we don't really like it? So I think on, on one of our public hearing sessions, you know, someone asked about buyer's remorse. And I think that's a great way of, of putting it is, you know, you buy something thinking you're getting, you know, one thing, it's kind of like ordering off the internet sometimes, right? You know, you, you look at the picture and it looks really good and then you order it and it doesn't always, you know, doesn't quite fit or something like that. So um, you know, and the, the response was that, well, you know, I think the, the council and commission always have the option of undertaking another management action to, to change their choice. And I think that became, you know, more evident throughout this process, you know, in the public hearing document it noted that the intent would be to select, you know, one of these approaches that would apply to, all four of the species, you know, but the, I think some of the SSC discussion was that you might actually want to consider, you know, tailoring the approach to different species and that what you use for bluefish might be very different than what you would use, say, for summer flounder. So I think that's something that we're going to have to keep in mind down the road. Or just to jump in, like, you know, what we were proposing, which was maybe to pilot this for the species that's kind of in the best place. So thinking about black sea bass, and if this crashes and burns, then maybe we're, you know, maybe we can absorb that. Whereas for other species, that might not be the case. Sorry to interrupt. No. And, and I think that's a great point. And that was something that several of us around the table also asked about and, and had recommended, you know, in the end, I think most people were, when it 
when it came to when it came down to considering piloting an approach, I think given the sunset clause and given the similarity of this approach to how we do things currently, I think folks were less um, less willing to just try it for one species. Um, so hope and and I think the other thing i'll I'll throw in there, and this was you know part of the SSC's report in addition to you know a lot of other things for the council to and commission to consider was that if we if we're still able to get stock assessment updates every couple of years, then we're sort of hitting the reset button every every two years, and hopefully if we i mean i'm you know if things change dramatically, then then we can change change our approach, you know, based on based on that new assessment information. In other words, you know, if we set management measures and they don't quite have the intended effect, which I'll point out again, that's happened in the past. You know, we've had for for both summer flounder and black sea bass, we've had you know multiple years where measures have re- remained the same, but harvests have fluctuated quite a bit in the past. So I think having that two-year potential for a reset button also gave folks a little bit of comfort, you know, nonetheless, um, yeah, it is, it is a bit, a bit of an experiment for, for the next couple of years. What else do you want me to talk about? I think if anyone is still listening, they've gotten a a very healthy dose of the HCR. Um, you know, I, I, for anyone wondering, like, you know, Willie said, this is going in in 23, we're going to start getting some, you know, more information about, you know, where we might end up in this uh, paradigm of the percent change approach in August when we get kind of final catch estimates. And then, you know, that, that process will continue um, into the fall as it kind of narrows down into some of these um, as we get some of these other values. So um, it's kind of a waiting game until then. Uh, but you know, we've got a new approach to managing recreational, um, fisheries here in the mid Atlantic. And, uh, you know, as Willie and I have said, you know, we're going to, you know, remain intent on, um, you know, ensuring that the sustainability, the long-term sustainability of these stocks isn't lost on, uh, this new approach. And I'm glad that you guys are are out there. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity and, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are out there and it really, um, you know, it's tough. It's, it's tough to take all of the feedback that council and commission members get about issues like this, you know, given that our stakeholders have different, you know, different motivations. And I think we're, we're on a path of improving some of the tools that we have and hopefully, you know, some of the, some of the recommendations and results from the national academies of study can be used to tackle some of the more technical aspects of, you know, recreational fisheries data collection and management. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, we'll, we'll see how things shake out for, for 2023 and see what our, our assessment updates look like uh, next year. And we'll be watching. <laughs> I fully expect you to, to have eagle eyes on everything that's happening. We really appreciate the time, Michelle. Thanks for, thanks for taking us, you know, 
a little bit into the weeds, you know, not not too far uh, into this incredibly uh, complex issue. And um, as you said, um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens in 2023. We'll be keeping a very close eye on it. Uh, we really don't hope uh, there are going to be any "I told you so" moments, but we'll be uh, we'll be watching everything either way. So, thanks so much again for joining us on the Guidepost. Thank you, guys. I really I really had a great time.